Welcome to Still Becoming, a podcast about how it's never too late to become more free, more yourself, or try something new. I'm Monica DiCristina, a wife, mother, and practicing psychotherapist. Through my own struggles with my anxiety years ago that led to my professional work as a therapist now, I am fascinated by the process of how we become who we are. We will explore the topics of becoming, of unbecoming, and overcoming through interviews, unpacking mental health topics, and stories. You are not designed to stay the same. Your story is still being written. We are all still becoming. I'm so excited and so honored to have Tasha June on the Still Becoming podcast today. Tasha is a mother of three and a writer and a poet, and I'm so excited to talk about all the different things that we discussed today, including a lot of her writing. In our conversation, we discuss the rise of anti-Asian violence in this country in the year 2021, and how this is also not a new thing that's happening in this country. We talk about the responsibility of learning history. We also talk about Tasha's own journey as a biracial woman in this country. And Tasha describes different topics in such a powerful and beautiful way. And the way that she describes these topics with her faith experience is so compelling. I can't wait for you to hear everything that she shares. And something that I'm so excited that we have as well is Tasha will be reading her beautiful and powerful poem, Yellow is a Protest, at the beginning before we dive into our conversation. I hope that if you are a listener that identifies with some of the stories that Tasha is sharing today, I hope you feel seen and heard and validated. If you are a listener that does not identify with Tasha's experience in this world, I hope that you make space and listen. I can't wait for you to hear this poem and then this conversation with Tasha June. Yellow is a protest. My daughter has a yellow puffer coat, a bright bundle of color, skipping on sidewalks, a protest against the monotony of overcast sky, a wake up to wonder color, joy reaching far and wide. What would my world be without her yellow? She is the zest and zing of lemons, worth the weight of gold crowns, scent of fresh pineapples and papayas, and the hope of daffodils rising. A goldfinch colors the sky with yellow song, reminding me that God made yellow things too. Mustard and marigolds, cornfields, kongnamu, canaries, and the sun. Oh, the sun, colored with burning bush fire and the wild scribble of kids' crayons. What would we be without your heat, wax, and birdsong? We are yellow, shades of skin and starlight, moonshine in the dark, reflecting the light of all lights, bright, beautiful, beloved yellow, a protest against virus lies, superiority, and silenced lives. Mm-hmm. 
Natasha. Um, welcome to the podcast. I'm so grateful to be able to have this conversation with you. I'm so grateful that you are taking the time to come on and be with us today. And I'm just a, such a fan of your work. And I'm, you know, really grateful that you're here and just would love if you can start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, thank you, Monica. Um, it's an honor to be here. And I'm excited to get to chat with you today. Um, I, yeah, I'm Tasha June and I am um, a mom and a wife. I live in the Midwest um, in Indiana and I've got three kids and I spend most of my time, honestly, just caring for them and um, doing a lot with my family, but I also write and yeah, and that's, that's about it. <laughs> It is 2021, and one of the things that I think is important that we talk about as we dive into our conversation today is the increase in hate crimes against Asian Americans. And so if there are listeners today who identify as Asian American Pacific Islanders, I wonder what you might say to them today. And if there are listeners who do not identify as Asian American Pacific Islanders, I wonder what you might say to them also about this time that we're living through in this country. That's so good. Um, thank you for just acknowledging just that that's been a reality, um, an increased awareness of it this past year, maybe for some, but also just that it's a reality that's been around for a while. Yeah, I think to fellow Asian American listeners, I would just say there's so many things, but I would say that um, your feelings are valid. I think many of us have experienced um, a history of, I guess, made to feel that we're invisible or that our, our history um, in America is even invisible. And so I think that can tend to make us feel like um, our feelings also should be. And so I guess I would say that your feelings are valid um, in response to what's been happening over the last year. But even as you revisit or how that kind of like pulls up memories or just things as you revisit, you know, your own story in the past. Um, yeah, I would say your feelings are valid, whether it's fear or um, anger, deep sadness or lament. Um, it's okay to feel these things. It's okay if they linger. In fact, I think it would be a little bit more worrisome to not feel some of these things. And maybe yeah. that would be something to, to visit. Lastly, I guess that, that you aren't alone and that you weren't made by God to be invisible. And to those that don't identify as Asian American, um, I guess I would just say thank you for listening if you are, um, that's something, and also that this is real and um, that you probably have a lot of um, neighbors um, or people that are having to face this in a very personal way. So, What would you share with those, and you've touched on this a little bit already, but what would you share with those who have wrongly thought that violence against Asian Americans is a new thing in this country, but it has existed long before this past year? I think a reality that something that's become a reality for me is just that um, not all history is taught or um, highlighted. Yeah. I think we all kind of have a responsibility as we're able to read up on our history, to learn about our mm -hmm. history. Um, and that goes for everyone. I mean, it's really as easy as Googling a few things like Vincent Chin or the um, the Chinese Exclusion Act or about the Chinese men who built the Transcontinental Railroad um, mm -hmm. 
or the internment of Japanese Americans. I feel like those are kind of big things that are easy to just kind of Google. And it kind of gives a little doorway into the history of Asian America. And it's mm -hmm. a very diverse group of people. It's not a monolith, um, but mm -hmm. the way that Asians Americans have been treated and perceived in America throughout history, um, I think can be highlighted just by Googling something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Google isn't perfect, but there's a lot of information out there. Um, I think even going back and thinking about movies that we grew up with or books that we read and yeah. how Asian Americans were portrayed um, mm -hmm. or if they were at all and why, why they weren't, um, or, mm -hmm. you know, just, it's really, I don't think it has to be that, that complicated, but one step towards history and just thinking through, you know, the portrayal that you grew up with, whether you're Asian American or not, really is telling. One of the things that you've written um, is that the lie of assimilation is that assimilation equals belonging. And cultural assimilation asks for the death of divinely given details and gives nothing but false belonging and grief in return. Your words that can give me chills right now as I'm reading them, they're so powerful. I'm wondering if we can unpack this topic a little bit. So I'm currently in the process of writing my first book kind of about what this journey has been throughout my life and how it's intertwined with my faith experience. Um, for me, those things don't really come apart. One of the simple facts is that this journey of moving from rejection to the embrace of one's cultural identity is one that is huge in my own life, but it's also one that many of my friends who are friends of color or Asian American have walked through or are in the process of walking through, kind of um, realizing that somewhere along the way of desiring belonging, we have discarded parts of ourselves um, in exchange for that um, that desire, which I think is we were all made for, um, no matter what color we are, you know, or mm -hmm. what our story is. But I think specifically in my own journey, um, I have thought that that it would be worth it, but it has mm -hmm. only shown up as kind of like a as to be a false belonging um, of wow. feeling like, okay, yes, now I fit in, but I don't feel um, I am not myself here. And um, it's been really painful, I guess, to come to terms with that and then to walk back and think about the things that I've discarded, um, the things that have been, um, I've been ashamed of and, and not rightly so. Yeah, I think too, alongside of just the beauty and the good that go with the American church, there's been a lot of history of pain and this assumption that to be Christian in America means to be and behave more like majority culture, Western, mm -hmm. Euro-influenced white culture. And whether that's been like outrightly taught um, or intentional or non-intentional, it's been felt. Mm -hmm. And many of us, again, have just felt like we need to discard parts of ourselves that don't fit that mold. And not just mm -hmm. to fit in, I guess, the belonging pieces there, but also to, to be considered good um, and worthy. So yeah, I think realizing that that is a lie has taken a while and it kind of has come up just in different seasons of life where I've had to kind of go back and seek healing. And if someone listening, you know, identifies with what you're describing, um, you know, if a listener feels like, wow, I've never heard someone say that that's my experience. That's what I'm, you know, unpacking right now. What would you say to that listener? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the work of unpacking that, of 
processing it, of maybe sharing with a safe person. Um, for me, it was all of those things and also processing like in prayer um, mm. is really um, good work. Mm. It's worthwhile, not only for yourself, it would be if it was just for you, but also for others too. And it will have a lasting impact. Um mm wherever you are and, and for all the people around you. Sometimes there are moments where we are awake to what's been happening or we're kind of woken up to it. Um, I had one when I was sitting in a small group and mm -hmm. we were talking about, you know, whatever was going on currently that involved um, just race. And I said something about being Korean American and someone responded, I don't even see you as Asian. And it was this moment of, oh my gosh, like wow. how have we yeah. been friends for this long and you don't right. see that part of me. And so wow. I would also say to really pay attention to those kinds of things and mm -hmm. the feeling you have inside and why you yes. might feel like that. You know, one of the things that you have written to is that I love this, this frame that you've created or that you describe that nourishing the Imago Dei within and nurturing the Imago Dei in one another. And it's such a beautiful thought. And I'm wondering if you can tell us more about your journey to this way of thinking, what this means to you as, as we're listening. So again, I think beginning to embrace who God has made me to be as a biracial Korean American mm -hmm. woman. And with the particular specifics to my story um, has been, again, just an incredibly spiritual experience for me, mm. um, one that has wow. drawn me into deep intimacy with Jesus. Um, so, for example, that sounds like such like such a big statement, you know, kind of out there. But I think fully enjoying a jjigae, which a Korean stew that my mom made growing up and sharing about mm -hmm. it even, just how much I love it, um, mm -hmm. or sharing it with a friend and letting them smell, you know, the spices yeah. and see my lips turn red, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. without shame uh -huh. has felt like a yeah. real intangible way for me to say, yes, God, um, I mm. believe you made me good. I believe you when you say that I'm perfectly loved, wholly loved, um, and no longer in this out of reach way, but in a really up close, like deep in my details. Wow. I think because a lot of it has had to do with food for me, the uh -huh. nourish um, and nurture, just thinking about the way my mom fed me as a girl, um, yeah. really just stood out because um, uh -huh. it feels uh -huh. so ingrained, even though it's yes. not all about food. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. so uh -huh. going through that, it's really just informed the way I want to grow in loving others yeah. and um, mm. kind of nurturing the reflections of God that I see in them. I love the way you described deep in the details. Uh, it's such a that's such a um, such a tangible, powerful way to think about being known and being loved and 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 showing up as yourself and us loving each other deep in the details. I love that. Oh, yeah. It's so easy, um, I think, to mm -hmm. think that those things don't matter, but... Right. Yeah, they do. Yes. In fact, maybe they matter, you know, the most, right? And it's just, that's a such a beautiful way to just think about that. You know, in, in some of your writing, you, you do talk about your experiences as a biracial woman and embracing, rather than having to choose um, all, you know, between the parts um, so can you walk us through some of your thoughts about that, how that's impacted you as a person, how that's impacted your voice in the world, your faith, your 
parenting. And if there are listeners who are identify also as biracial, obviously everyone is going to have a different experience, but you know, what, what you might share to those listeners as well. Being biracial in a world or in a culture that often seeks to divide, oppress, conquer, um, and has done so (laughs) when it comes to those, Mm -hmm. those, those differences, um, has been a journey as well, because I think those of us who are biracial, and and all of us to some extent, but those of us who are biracial or multiracial, we wholly embody two parts without being less than in one or the other. But it's like a a physical message, I guess, in and of itself that we just live with, um, or maybe Mm -hmm. live with heightened awareness to, I should say. Mm -hmm. No matter how we try, I mean, depending on who who, what all the stories are out there. I know for myself, I've tried to cut myself in half or, you know, not Mm -hmm. literally, obviously, Mm -hmm. but just Mm -hmm. tried to figure out where all the lines are and it's impossible. And I think it's kind of been that impossibility that, you know, being unable to do that with myself, I think has Mm -hmm. just kind of been a lifelong message that mm-hmm. um, we belong to each other, like beyond mm-hmm. my parts belonging to each other um, mm-hmm. in the world that we do belong to each other. And it kind of is like indirect opposition to some of those parts of our history or present day that are they're trying to do that. You know, I kind of feel like on one hand, in a very real way, we represent proof that what the world says cannot belong to each other or has to belong in like some kind of hierarchy actually can, you know, represents kind of a new hope. At least it has Mm -hmm. for me, but that's more so I think come from me trying to figure out where all the lines are and not being able Mm -hmm. to. You've written that when we dismiss the pain of others, we dismiss the pain of God. And, um, yeah, this really hit me. Um, it just so deeply. And I'm wondering if we can talk just a little bit about that. I, I, wholeheartedly agree with you. And yet it happens all the time. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure I've done it, you know, I mean that it just, just thinking about that, what, what would you add to this, to this thought about dismissing the pain of others and dismissing the pain of God? I think it's so easy to do. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, it's been important for me to remember constantly as I interact with others. Um, and if, as I'm faced with someone else's pain, that I don't understand or I'm tempted to dismiss because more often than not that happens. Um, and I hate mm-hmm. that, but it does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy for all of us to do it, but it's helped me to think about how this response not only hurts another person, but it, it damages my relationship with them. And obviously it's also helped me as I experience, when I experience pain to know that it's not just my pain to ignore or to push through, um, but to feel, to let inform me, And to lead me to God who feels these things with me. Mm. And so, I mean, I guess twofold in in my my own personal experience, but also as I interact with others, you know, letting another's pain inform me and change me and impact me helps me um, to see more of God and see more of his heart. I mean, it's it's so Mm -hmm. simple, but Mm -hmm. I think when we forget that God's pain is expressed in our pain, I think... Mm. Um, it's easy to dismiss others, you know, mm-hmm. and not have mm-hmm. to deal with someone else. Right. And our lack of understanding, I really like the way you put that, um, that can lead us to dismissive behavior. And so just, you know, catching that, I may not understand this pain, but I can still honor it, embrace it, listen to it, learn from it, you know, and draw near 
draw near to the pain. You wrote, as a little girl, I learned that it's impolite to interrupt. But now as a woman, I'm learning something new. Some interruptions are needed. Some interruptions are made by God for such a time as they come. They become necessary placeholders, offering a new seat at an old table. It's so powerful. And, you know, what What would you add to, um, to your own words, <laughs> but what would you add to, you know, this idea of, of maybe unlearning something as you've, you know, become an adult? So I think I, if I remember the article, I think I again was specifically about being biracial. Mm-hmm. And I think for a long time, I kind of felt like I needed to be apologetic about that. Again, going back mm-hmm. to feeling like I didn't know what what place I had, you know, yeah. and how I was supposed to choose and or how to choose. And I thought I was mm-hmm. supposed to like choose mm-hmm. a side of myself or a part. Um, and so... I think as I've learned that I am holy, me, Mm -hmm. and that I can embody this kind of this message of hope and shalom at work in my two parts or my Mm. many parts, it's been a work of kind of unpacking where I thought I needed to apologize or explain my existence, you know, (laughs) why I Mm -hmm. look the way I do and kind of just live it, I guess. Um, And so unpacking one lie to replace with um, kind of an embodied experience of showing up as me and really believing it's good. And it's also informed, I think, how I see other image bearers in the world too. So instead Mm -hmm. of trying to figure out where they fit, um, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. trying to embrace again, what, what they show up as. Um, So really as I've unpacked it, it's just fueled my passion to affirm that beauty in others, um, Mm. to not diminish um, any act or prayer or um, anything done toward affirming that in in myself Mm -hmm. or in others. And and really believing that it's holy spiritual work towards God's shalom in our world. As we get to um, the end of our conversation and our last questions, I want to talk about the importance of representation and what a lack of representation can create and what representation, what the presence of representation can create in a positive way. And, and as a mother also, um, what your thoughts are about this topic. Yeah. I feel like it's something that has been talked about so much. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, but I still, it's so important. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's been incredibly important in my own life, obviously. Um, but I think simply put it, representation speaks to worth, um, and Mm. celebration representation in all kinds of forms, you know, it acknowledges and celebrates, um, God's work of creation, whether intending to or not, it points to creativity, um, and a lack of it speaks Mm. ill of what God has named as good. A lack of it gives a lopsided picture of his creativity, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and creation. It leads to a culture of naming some better than others, of strife, Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. looking down on some while propping others up, you know, Mm -hmm. without even using those words. With not having it, a lack of it leads to shame in some and pride in others. And it leads to more brokenness and pain, really, like not having it. So all of those things, I think it's so much more far-reaching than just being able to look at a screen and saying, it looks like me. 
And I think there's so much pain for those of us that grew up without it. Again, that we're unpacking now as adults as there's a little bit more of an increase of it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think as representation gets a little bit better or, you know, on screen or in books or um, just in the neighborhood even, um, Mm -hmm. I think there is a joy in that as an adult. But then there's such a deep grief, too. It's like experiencing it again in a fresh way Uh because you are revisiting the fact that you grew up without it and and yeah. all those lasting, you know, all those things that mm-hmm. you're still dealing with because of it. Um, mm-hmm. As a mom, I feel um, it's wonderful for my kids to see so much more than I did on one hand. On the other hand, part of me is like, do they know what it was like before? You know, we've talked about it. And I, I think it's okay that they don't. I think it's good that they are just seeing more of it. At the yeah. same time, I think there's still such an unhealthy imbalance mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Um, representation. Yeah. You know, I don't want to pass on this. Oh, we should be just grateful for that there's something right. now. I mean, and, right. and I am glad. Mm-hmm. You know, we were in the neighborhood trick-or-treating last night, and we walked mm-hmm. by another Asian family, Asian American mm-hmm. family, and my daughter immediately after we walked by said they were Asian. And so, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I mean, we talk yeah. about stuff like this at home a lot. I'm continually amazed that they notice at like the youngest ages, you know, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. they are represented wherever they yes. go and it speaks something. So it's so important. I can't mm-hmm. say it enough. I love the way you described it as um, a celebration and acknowledging, you know, the creativity of God and a lack of representation, not acknowledging the true creativity of God. Wow. Okay, final question, Tasha, that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast, and it's what is um, one person or experience or event that helped you become the person that we're speaking with today? And and obviously, it's never just one in our lives, but what's one on your mind today or, or more than one, of course? So there has obviously, like you said already, been a lot. Um, a couple, there's a couple of people specifically or more than a couple that um, I think in the more recent years have continued to just affirm some of these things in my life, Mm -hmm. um, things that I've shared. And Mm -hmm. it's um, that, like I said before about affirming those things, I think it's really um, been good, holy, courage giving work that they've done. Um, Mm -hmm. So one is a group, I guess it's kimchi sisterhood, it's fellow writers Mm -hmm. and other Korean American women, Mm -hmm. Um, all very different stories as we carry some of those similarities, but um, having a place um, to go to, to lament, especially over this past year, um, you know, unfiltered. And along with that, a local um, Asian American group of women that um, I'm connected to has been just grounding and um, comforting and encouraging this past year. Um, But then also um, a dear friend who, her name is Sandy, and she is um, Latina, she is biracial, um, and we are local friends, and we've walked Mm -hmm. through a lot of these things that we talked, I talked about today together. Um, Obviously, our journeys are different. There have been times where we haven't been on the same page. But over the last, I would say maybe, four or five years, just really walking together in um, this journey of embracing and kind of unpacking 
And it's been really grounding and just, mm. it's, um, yeah, just been so life-giving for me. Yeah. They, they sound like, um, so many different rich relationships, you know, that have really, um, impacted, grounded, um, comforted or in- encouraged you like a lot of amazing, um, amazing people. Well, um, Tasha, thank you so much. Um, it's just a joy. I've been looking forward to talking to you and I just, I loved this conversation and thank you so much for everything that you shared with us today. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you for asking questions and letting me be here and share parts of my story. And yeah, you're such a good listener. hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tasha as much as I did. And I hope you enjoyed the beautiful reading of Yellow is a Protest, her poem at the beginning of this episode. I'm walking away reflecting on everything that Tasha shared today. I'm walking away reflecting on where have I dismissed the pain of others and thinking about that in a new way of dismissing the pain of God. I'm walking away thinking about this beautiful idea that Tasha described about being deep in the details of each other and that being a way to love other people, to really see them, celebrate them, and be near them. I'm walking away thinking about the beauty and the creativity of God. This was such a wonderful conversation. If you would like to learn more about Tasha and all the work she's doing in the world, we will have everything linked in the show notes, including a link to her poem, Yellow is a Protest. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit monicadecristina.com where you can sign up for my regular newsletter or follow along on Instagram. You can find me at Monica De Christina. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Still Becoming wherever you listen to podcasts if you like what you heard here today. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com.